Hello, this is Glenda Taylor. Welcome to the One and All Wisdom Podcast. The subject of my podcast today is lightness of heart. You may say, Glenda, how can you? People are dying. Serious things are happening. And you want to talk about lightheartedness? Yes, lightness with heart, as in take heart. Even in the darkest of times, times of the death of a loved one, say, and even as we grieve their passing from this plane, we are reminded that there are other planes of reference. Even when things are ugly, beauty still exists somewhere. Beauty and even joy, we have to shift our perspective, though, to see it. Even at the time of a death in the family, the old-fashioned wake included telling funny stories about the departed and laughing together. Light-hearted humor can play this role of shifting our perspective. Joseph Epps Brown once wrote that in our culture, seriousness is associated with the sacred, whereas other cultures insist on light-heartedness and laughter as being integral and appropriate to sacred experience. So, even in these heavy, heavy coronavirus and tornado and economic hardship times, when the feeling of heaviness can be almost unbearable, there's a vital necessity, I think, to lighten up, or as one of my old bumper stickers used to say, enlighten up with what has been called Humor that enlightens us, not just with, oh, crude or frivolous jokes, though I will have some jokes to tell, but rather my hope is to help us all to remember that we can shift our perspective out of the dangers and deadliness of the present moment that so captures our attention. I certainly feel that I need enlightenment. I need light, light to see what's really what, to see where I am or how things really are, or just to see what it's all about. There's an old story told about the 13th century Sufi wise man, Nasruddin, who for centuries has been appreciated as a master of conveying just the sort of light in the darkness. Here's the story. Nasruddin said, I can see in the dark. That may be true, someone said, but if so, why do you sometimes carry a candle at night? Oh, to prevent other people from bumping into me, Nasruddin replied. An oddly different perspective, a bit funny, but shifted slightly from our normal way of thinking. Here's another. Nasruddin was throwing hands full of bread all around his house. Someone asked him what he was doing, to which he replied that he was keeping the tigers away. But there aren't any tigers around here, someone said. Exactly, Nasruddin replied. Effective, isn't it? We laugh with Nasruddin even as we say, that's crazy. Nasruddin's stories and other such stories teach us that truth cannot always be measured by ordinary means. And significantly, they teach us that sanity is a variable thing. As Alan Watts said, No one is more dangerously insane than one who is sane all the time. 
He is like a steel bridge without flexibility, and the order of his life is rigid and brittle. End quote. Watts also said, When you get free from certain fixed concepts, fixed concepts of the way the world is or ought to be, when you get free from certain fixed concepts of the way the world is or ought to be, you find it is far more subtle and far more miraculous than you thought it was. In his book, Crazy Wisdom, West Nicker, Nicker, I don't really know how to pronounce his name, but I really enjoyed his book, West, N-I-C-K-E-R, wrote, A special kind of crazy wisdom is loose in the world. This wisdom is difficult to codify and categorize, and it refuses to be institutionalized. It's called crazy wisdom, and so it is, both crazy and wisdom. Crazy wisdom is the wisdom of the saint, the Zen master, the poet, the mad scientist, and the fool. Crazy wisdom sees that we live in a world of many illusions, that the emperor has no clothes, and that much of human belief and behavior is just ritualized nonsense. Crazy wisdom understands antimatter and old Sufi poetry loves paradox and puns and pie fights and laughing at politicians. Crazy wisdom flips the world upside down and backward until everything becomes perfectly clear, end quote. Hmm. Well, nothing seems very clear to us right now, so this sort of wisdom may be just what is needed for us, though it may be rational in a convoluted sort of way so that one almost has to stand on one's head mentally to follow its logic. Niker also wrote, In order to hear crazy wisdom, we need to shut off or turn down the grinding noise of the rational analytical gears. Crazy wisdom requires that we get at least a little bit out of our minds. That can be done through prayer, meditation, nature, art, poetry, stories, song, and jokes. For example, here, this bit that one of my grandsons told me, a woman pestered her husband continuously to buy her a jaguar. He finally did, and it ate her right up. (laughs) It is not necessary, of course, to shut down entirely our rational minds, We just need to acknowledge the levels of subtlety of reality. Whatever that is, whatever it is, it's surely beyond our usual limited frames of reference. So we need to give our psyche sometimes, especially our rational minds, a chance to dance around a little bit with a kind of lightness of heart, a kind of enlightenment that takes into account crazy wisdom. We need perhaps to get back in touch with the trickster inside each of us and abroad in the world and see its purpose. The writer and educator David Lemming says, quote, All mystical thought is by nature paradoxical and apparently absurd to the non-mystic. It would be worthwhile to remember the traditional role of the trickster as the wounded healer 
the one who can be either perpetrator or butt of the educative joke. The trickster is a savior who uses both roles to break down the old consciousness to stimulate the new, end quote. Of course, modern science is right in there with the mystics, seemingly breaking down all attempts at clinging to ordinary rational thought, Westnaker wrote. Lately, crazy wisdom has found a strange bedfellow in modern science, where recent discoveries have overturned many previous certainties. Recent discoveries in science reveal worlds so enormous and so tiny and so strange that they must be the great cosmic joke of some creator who doubles over with laughter every time a scientist discovers another bizarre twist to the reality puzzle. From superclusters of galaxies that measure hundreds of millions of light years across, to particles so small that they have no mass, from the principle of indeterminacy to a universe containing multiple realities, Everything appears to be something other than what it appears to be. If scientists can be believed, the fact of the matter is that matter is not a fact. Now psychologists and biologists tell us the same thing. The self we think we are is not the real self, or we have many selves. The conclusion scientists are approaching, but do not yet have the audacity to state, is that in fact there exists no independent self at all. The self, that is to say what we think of as the individual, is as much an illusion as is the world of matter. End quote. Hmm. In this time of the coronavirus, we, re- we are becoming aware of the illusion of separateness and seeing how we're all connected and interacting and how we all rely on each other paradoxically. The perspective of science is more and more paradoxical. One scientist has said, quote, reality is a wave function traveling both backward and forward in time. What kind of perspective is that? We need old Hermes with the ability to see in all directions or many directions for that. In ancient Greece, statues of Hermes stood at almost every crossroads with many images having a head facing in every direction. We today have perhaps forgotten that we may need these reminders at our crossroads before we choose which direction we move in to be sure we take into account all directions, all perspectives, even those unimaginable crazy ones. It helps us to remember not to be too bound up in any one way of thinking. The purpose of all sacred humor, it seems, is to awaken us to that which is beyond our individual selves, backward and forward in time, to help us to remember or find a truer identity, a larger identity, a larger sense of self, a larger sense of reality. It does this by shocking us out of our conventional and limiting patterns of thinking about ourselves and about the rest of the world around us. The shock value is important, too. Joseph Epps Brown said, Sacred humor can seem to ridicule, thus destroy, but it does this so that deeper truth can come forth and reveal itself. End quote. 
Sacred humor is meant to shock us out of behaviors or ways of thinking we may be stuck in. Have you ever sat on the bank of a creek or some lazy river and thrown sticks into the water and watched as they floated along until they got caught in a little whirlpool where they just spin around and around and don't go any further until sometimes they just stay there so long they get waterlogged and eventually rot or sink in the water? My daughter Selena and I used to love to do this at her springs at the creek. Whenever one of our sticks would get hung up that way in a whirlpool, we would throw things at it to jolt it out of its stuckness and get it moving again. And sometimes, not unkindly, we would name our sticks with people's names and see if they'd flow freely down the creek or get hung up. If they got hung up, we would say something like, Susie, get over that hang-up and move on. And we would throw something at the stick to help it get unstuck. I think humor serves this function for us, lightheartedness. The shock of good sacred humor jolts us out of patterns of thought, patterns of thought or feeling in which we are stuck, like in the whirlpool. And being shocked out of our stuckness can do us great good before we, like the wet stick, rot or sink. Nasruddin was ferrying a pedantic scholar across a piece of rough water once, and Nasruddin, getting frustrated, said something ungrammatical, and the scholar said, Have you never studied grammar? Nope. Then half your life has been wasted, said the scholar. A few minutes later, Nasruddin turned to the passenger and said, Have you ever learned to swim? No, why? Then all of your life is wasted because we're sinking. <laughs> so, humor, I think, keeps <laughs> keeps us from sinking in, in our own stuckness, in our own pedantic ways of thinking, in our own narrow views of things. Alan Watts has said that humor is often the skillful means that a teacher, the skillful means that a teacher employs to help students outwit their own egocentricity. Humor is the skillful means that a teacher employs to help students outwit their own egocentricity. (laughs) The trickster may use stories to show that what people call truth and meaning are really relative to their situation. Quote, A patient in a mental institution had a rod and reel and was fishing in a pail. A visitor watched him for a moment and then decided to make friendly conversation. How many did you catch? The visitor asked the mental patient, to which the patient replied, Are you some kind of nut? You can't catch fish out of a pail. (laughs) Again and again, such stories teach us not to jump to seemingly logical conclusions too fast and get stuck there. Nasruddin used to take his donkey across the frontier every day with the panniers loaded with straw. Since he admitted to being a smuggler when he trudged home every night, the frontier guards searched him again and again. They searched his person, searched the straw, steeped the straw in water, even burned it from time to time. Meanwhile, Nasruddin was becoming visibly more and more prosperous. Then he retired and went to live in another country, where, years later, 
one of the customs officers happened to meet him and said, You can tell me now, Nasruddin, what was that you were smuggling when we could never catch you out? To which Nasruddin replied, Donkeys. <laughs> These days we're all getting to experience a sometimes comical and very different perspective, a behind-the-scenes sort of donkey perspective, as we watch some of our favorite shows on television, where we now discover that even television personalities and wise pundits, usually so perfectly groomed and staged and prompted, but who are now self-isolating and broadcasting from home, we find that mostly they look and sound very different and occasionally... We catch a glimpse of a cat or a child or the frumpy wife or maid wandering by at the edge of the screen glaring at the pundit. How remarkable. The emperor is an ordinary human being. How eye-opening. How revealing, not only about them, but about our usual perception of them that has been so carefully shaped by others, by the television producers, whatever their stripe, we begin to think now about how we have perhaps surrendered our ability to recognize staging when it happens to us, how we might be just a little bit sort of maybe brainwashed or at least brain-influenced without noticing, maybe. We can be blinded even to the obvious by our ordinary consciousness. We choose consciously or unconsciously what part of reality we We read, as did this six-year-old who was engrossed in a little children's picture book. His younger brother asked him, Can you read? Of course, said the older brother, without taking his eyes off the picture book. Then prove it, says the younger. Read that writing over there on the stove. To which the older brother replied, I just read books. I don't read stoves. If we broaden our view of what we read, we may be able to let go of some of our narrow-minded prejudices and learn something new. Back in the day of the anti-communist movement, a doctor told a patient who was a big anti-communist that he had only three months to live. The doctor then asked the patient what he might do in his remaining time. I'm going to become a communist, said the doomed man. Whatever for, asked the surprised doctor. Well, said the patient, if I have to go, I'd rather it was one of them that died. (laughs) Convoluted thinking or non-thinking. I seem to see a lot of that around me lately, and I have to shake my head and wonder how I may be doing the same thing in my own unique blind-to-myself way. When we think we are above such crazy, silly blindness, we are like the yogi that Nasruddin once encountered. Nasruddin asked the yogi what he was doing. The yogi replied that he was spending his time getting in harmony with and learning the value of all living things. Nasruddin commented absently, "Hmm, I understand how important that is. A fish once saved my life. Really, said the surprised yogi, thinking, I must get to know this person who could communicate with another life form so well that a fish would choose to save his life. 
So the yogi asked Nasruddin to tell him about this remarkable thing that had happened. Nasruddin, looking the yogi over carefully, observing the yogi's hands in prayer position, his bright eyes revealing his sharp mind, everything about him speaking of holiness. And Nasruddin said, Oh, I don't think you'd profit by my little story. But the yogi begged him to reveal this amazing gift he had. So finally, Nasruddin said, Well, the fish saved my life, all right. I was starving. I caught a fish and ate it, and it sustained me for three days until someone else came with more food. (laughs) Nasruddin's stories deny that any sort of patterned thinking can reveal the depths of true reality, which so often moves in another dimension entirely. We need, I guess, to have the humility of a child or a sacred fool to get through times like we're in now. It seems so, so bizarre. We need to be able to find the quirks and humor. I see that happening online and on the TV. We appreciate even the slapstick. Someone says, The stork came to our house last night. Oh, was it a boy or a girl? We don't know yet. We have it chained to the porch, and if it lays an egg, it's a girl. (laughs) Oh, sometimes we just have to get out of our rigid, straightforward, straight-up patterns of thinking and allow some creativity to come in, some new way of framing things that may save us from our own seriousness. Or not or at least refocus us to deal with the present reality we are caught in. Quote, Pilot to control tower. I'm out of gas at sea, 400 miles from Cape May. What should I do? Urgent. Control tower to pilot. Repeat after me. Our Father, who art in heaven. (laughs) The writings of Rumi, the great Sufi mystic. His writings are full of the deepest wisdom and the most transcendent points of view, and his writings are full of wit and humor, again designed to shake us out of ourselves. This is also, as we've said, the role of the trickster, the Hayoka, the sacred clown of Native American cultures. Again, Joseph Epps Brown writes, To become a Hayoka, or what is sometimes called a contrary in Native American tribes, requires a deep spiritual experience, a very intense quality of dream or more often a vision experience. It is not undertaken lightly to be a Hayoka, and in fact is often avoided, Jonah fashion if possible, by those chosen by spirit to enact this role for the tribe. Being a Hayoka is an honor, but one that is difficult and serious. It is believed among native peoples that the tribe's life, in good measure, depends on the wisdom and activities of this person who can, by his or her humorous behaviors, show people their backsides, as it were, show them in a way that does not wound, but by humor can be received lightly so that there is no hostility. That is not easy. But oh, how important. William James has said the greatest revolution of our generation is the discovery that human beings, by changing the inner attitudes of their minds, can change the outer aspects of their lives. 
What are the self-limiting patterns of thought that we get stuck or sunk in? Where do they come from? Well, some patterns are cultural, of course. Some are from our families of origin. Some are archetypal. Some are are individual to us, it seems. Patterns arising out of the experiences we have had. But as we've so often said, if we get stuck in thinking in only one way, seeing through only one window, such as out of our individual pattern of thought, we miss so much. Indeed, we suffer so much. Opening our windows of perspective, we discover, as we're discovering in this virus, that we are not only ourselves, we are a multitude of others. Indeed, we are coextensive with everything. We are all that everywhere. But if we don't open our windows of perception and awareness, if we don't see our fullness of being, if we don't use all of our being, then what happens? Yesterday here we were under a tornado warning. When the winds got strong enough, Christina and I went into the middle room, my office, and hunkered down there. I was kneeling down with my back up, my legs and arms pulled in, wearing a bicycle helmet and and with a couple of thick blankets drawn over me, hoping all the while that if things got bad, one of the bookcases didn't fall on me. Killed by books, Chris said. (laughs) When the winds calmed down, I rolled over on the floor and lay there for a few minutes to be sure the threat was gone and lying down there, catching my breath. I noticed on the bottom shelf of one of the bookcases facing me a book I didn't know I had, a big, thick, apparently an autobiography of Arthur Miller that I'm sure I haven't read. So when I got up to come out of the room, I I pulled that book out and brought it with me, and within a few minutes I was lying down trying to calm myself more and and happily reading this delightful book I hadn't even known I owned until the tornado threat came along. It's like that often with trials and challenges and dangerous times. We get stood on our heads and we see things from a different perspective that we were missing otherwise. I pray this pandemic will have the same result for us. I pray we will not get up and walk out of this time and get back to normal. Normal had some things about it that needed to be addressed things that had been put on the bottom shelf, so to speak, and ignored and often forgotten about. In our quarantine time, we were rediscovering some of those things, such as how quickly the air quality is cleared up in smog-ridden places with all of us humans changing our behaviors, and such as how important certain disregarded workforces are to our overall survival, and on and on. May we not forget these things, but allow this changed perspective to inform us as we go forward. And may we keep a much broadened and open perspective rather than narrowing down again as though we are somehow not responsible, each of us, for doing our part, even if it means paradoxically enough doing nothing. Sacred humor abounds in paradox, and it abounds during this pandemic. My grandson told me about seeing two images exactly the same, side by side, both of a guy lying on the couch with a bag of potato chips and with crumbs falling all over his chest, 
one picture had the caption, 2019, bum. 2020, hero. (laughs) How we see ourselves, how we identify ourselves, and how we are seen by others, so ambivalent and variable, we stay confused about our, our true identity most of the time. It is said that Nasruddin, in order to be recognized on a long caravan journey, attached an eggplant to his waistband, thinking that in this way he would always be sure to be recognized by others, he went to sleep. During the night, a practical joker stole the eggplant and tied it to his own waistband. Nasruddin woke up to the side of the other man wearing the eggplant. Nasruddin cried out in amazement, If that's me over there, and surely it is, well then, who am I here? Rumi said, when you eventually see through the veils of how things really are, you will keep saying again and again, this is certainly not like we thought it was. Wes Niker wrote, in the process of exploring crazy wisdom, we may stumble across some truth. Even if we do, we might not recognize it. Or if we did, we would pick it up and before you could say quark or synapse, it would disappear right out of our hands. I pray that doesn't happen to us after this pandemic calms down. I pray we don't go back into our normal cramped, limited views of ourselves and others. I hope we don't need another shock, like the pandemic, to thump us on our heads. Like Nazardine experienced when he was resting under a walnut tree, speculating on the oddity of small walnuts growing on huge trees and great big pumpkins nearby growing on little insignificant vines. How strange are the ways of things, Nasruddin thought. What could be sillier than tiny things growing on a huge tree and huge things growing on a tiny plant? At that very moment, a walnut fell on Nasruddin's head, leaving an uncomfortable bump. Nasruddin leapt to his feet, raising his hands to heaven and crying out to his maker, Oh, I am a fool and you are wise. Where would I be now if pumpkins grew on trees? Nasruddin's grave stands behind an iron gate secured by a large padlock. But there is no fence or wall on either side of the gate to prevent one from simply walking around the gate to get to the grave. There are those, it is said, who will stand before the gate, searching for the logic, or thinking of some bribe to get the caretaker to open the gate, while there are others who can realize that in many cases, though gates are there to remind us of the importance of the pathway and about what is to come, that the way to the objective may lie open to either side of the locked gate in front of us. Delightful, crazy wisdom. I love this topic, and I could go on and on. But I will close with two more quotes. One again from Wes Niker, or Nicker, however you pronounce his name, whom I've quoted a lot, who wrote, You will find crazy wisdom flowing through all human history, bubbling up here and there, now and then, pointing out different ways of looking at things, reminding people to take it easy, providing a necessary counterpoint to self-righteousness. From the Taoist to the Dadist, from the book of Ecclesiastes to Mark Twain's letters to the earth, out of the cyclonic whirl of Rumi's dervish poetry, 
and the profound nonsense of Samuel Beckett's confused characters, lurking beneath the unruly hair of Albert Einstein and between the bushy eyebrows of Groucho Marx, inside the howly voice of Allen Ginsberg and from behind the rags of Lily Tomlin's bag lady. Whatever tone it speaks in and whatever disguise it wears, crazy wisdom arises again and again to expose us to ourselves and to remind us of the strange, impossible nature of our enterprise here on earth, life. Crazy wisdom is the skeptical voice inside us that doubts our importance in the world and questions our belief in our own purpose. It is the nagging suspicion that both our reasons and our reasoning may be mistaken. Crazy wisdom laughs at our ridiculous ways and shows compassion for the suffering that results from them. It presents us with the bigger picture as well as ways to step lightly through it. And finally, here is the last small quote from a Tibetan meditation master. Since everything is perfect in being what it is, in being what it is, having nothing to do with good or bad, acceptance or rejection, one may well burst out in laughter. This is Glenda Taylor. I hope you'll join me again next time for the One and All Wisdom podcast, which is about a different subject every time. You never know what you're going to get here. But I hope you'll join me. I send you my love, and I hope you'll join me, too, on the One and All Wisdom website, oneandallwisdom.com. There's a new course I've just put up there about Persephone's descent to the underworld, which looks also at the underside of things from ancient Greek myth. Persephone's story is not just a seasonal story, as it's sometimes called, but it's a very deep and meaningful philosophical statement about the journey through dark times that I felt might be useful to us also right now. So I hope you'll join me there or again next time on the One and All Wisdom podcast. Mm-hmm.